Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this special episode that I will introduce in just a minute. But before I get to that, I wanted to share a heartfelt thank you to everyone in the One Stop Co-op Shop community from all of us here on the channel. Thank you so much for showing up and showing out in a big way. As I record this in May of 2023, they have just finished the voting for the Golden Geek Awards on BoardGameGeek.com BGG. They run voting for the Best Podcast Award every single year. Some great shows have won some of our favorites. This year, we ended up with the second place runner-up position, which is amazing. So many other great podcasts that have run for years with big fandoms. Uh, we actually ended up placing ahead of them because of the voting of all of you. Congratulations to the winners. This game is broken. Paula Deming, the brothers Murph, Matthew Jude, and their family. A very irreverent take on board games. Go ahead and give them a sub if that interests you. The first runner-up was Beyond Solitaire, Liz Davidson, frequent guest of the show. We are so excited that she got that first runner-up position. She's very excited as well. So if you follow her on social medias, Beyond Solitaire, you will hear all about it. And then right behind Liz was the one-stop co-op shop, which we are super happy about. So Thank you very much uh, for voting for us this year. And we're putting out the call next year, either us or Liz or one of our close podcast family. We want to get to that winner circle. So whatever you can do to help us, we would greatly appreciate it. So let's go ahead and go on to our episode this week, which is a crossover. We love our podcasting partners and our family. We're all friends. We're all rooting for each other. So in that spirit, I am posting the entire most recent episode from a brand new show called Right Brain Rollers. You like gaming, you like a podcast that cut the fat and get the games to the table. Well, this one is another one for you from some very familiar voices. They are Brant Sanderson from the Portal Gaming Podcast, frequent guest of the show, and also on the One Stop Co-op Shop stream channel, playing Marvel Champions. You might remember Brant from there. And also Eric Summer from the Dice Tower. Friends here in Connecticut have started their new show talking about games. I am sharing their recent episode, which is a deep dive analysis of Earth the card game for one to five players, which is lighting up the BGG hotness and the Facebook group. So some people have asked for coverage of Earth. Well, here it is. Our friends Brand and Eric have that for you. Along with that in-depth review of Earth, they are going to talk about Mega Man Adventures, which is from Peter and Mike here at the show. You might be interested in some of the comments they have for that one. And also get into a discussion of cooperative versus non-cooperative games. They throw in some competitive games, but we'll forgive them for that. A lot of other great content there. So please go ahead and sub to Right Brain Rollers for more episodes from them. And stay tuned here at the One Stop Co-op Shop for more of your favorites of what we do. We got second runner-up in the Golden Geek, so you must like what we do, and we have every intention to keep this going. All right, on to the show. Let's get rolling! Welcome to the Right Brain Rollers Podcast. Classically sinister since 2023. I'm Eric. And I'm the Brant. And we're here to talk about board games. All right, Eric. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing splendidly. I'm about to go on spring break with my family, and uh, we're, we're doing all the things that have to be taken care of before you go on a vacation, which always seems like more work 
than you'd normally be doing if you didn't go on the vacation. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. I'm getting ready to prep a comedy show that I'm running at my uh, theater where I teach. Ooh. Are you doing the comedy or are you like facilitating the comedy? Uh, I'm mostly facilitating, but sometimes I can be funny. Okay. I'll <laughs> attest to that sometimes part. All right. Well, it's episode four, so it's time to throw something totally different at you. Are you ready? Uh, no, but sure. <laughs> okay. So for people who don't know, Eric does these really awesome um, reviews on the Dice Tower channel, and you can check those out, where he kind of takes three or more games, and then he kind of tells you all about them, and then he stacks the games up. Ah, uh, yes. So I wanted you to stack th- some things up in your life, Eric. Uh, <laughs> sure. Okay. All right. So I want you to stack these three things, and this is brutal. Are you ready? Oh, my. Uh, okay. I want you to stack the board game Merchant of Venus uh-huh. versus Weird Al Yankovic. Oh my! Versus the Muppets. Go! Oh come on! <laughs> oh, this is mean. I know, and a good way to open episode four, don't you think, everyone? Oh my god! Okay, so Weird Al, the Muppets, and Merchant of Venus. This is. So I have to put Merchant of Venus on the bottom. Ooh! Because. I mean, they're all upper tier. This is all S-tier stuff, like the kids are saying. Uh, <laughs> Merchant of Venus is going to go on the bottom, though. And I then I think, I think the Muppets are going to go next. Just a close nudge uh, behind Weird Al Yankovic, who is still at the forefront of comedy. The Muppets, however, are a little less relevant right now, although they do have a new show coming, and I am very optimistic. But Merchant of Venus, while I love it, has less of an appeal. Nice. There you go. Well, there you go. Stack them. Oh, that's hard and you're mean. <laughs> what do you say we keep on rolling to some reviews? Let's do that. That's easier. So I'm going to start off breaking the rules uh, with a pair of games from Button Shy Games and designer Aaron Andrew Wilson. Uh, they are called Y.I. Otter, O-T-T-E-R. It's an otter-themed game. And the sequel, An Otter One, An Otter W-O-N, like an otter won a competition. Uh, these are a pair of 18-card wallet games from Buttonshy. You, you know the general format, uh, and Buttonshy is really good about producing these uh, fascinating little microcosm games, which always have a cute little twist to them. Um, in Y.I. Otter... It is a two-player game. It's a a sort of a drafting game with a rock-paper-scissors mechanism. There are three scoring cards that will be placed out in the center in a particular round, and you have a hand of cards, and you are going to play. One player plays a card. They they come in three colors, uh, red, yellow, and blue, and uh, blue will always beat yellow, yellow will always beat red, and red will always beat blue. And then the higher number will win if it's the same color. So you play a card, Brant, and then I play a card. And I can follow those rules to either win or lose based on what I have in my hand. And then uh, the the winner is going to, going to determine uh, of the three cards in the center which one stays as a scoring card that will apply for the rest of the round and which two cards get given. Actually, no, the, the first player gets to take one of the three. The loser then gets to choose which one is a scoring and which one goes into their tableau, um, into their hand. And then you're eventually building this hand that becomes a, uh, a scoring opportunity at the end of the game. 
This is a weird concept. It's hard to even wrap your head around it. It seems like a very simple, uh, like the trick-taking part of it is very straightforward. You either play a card that that's beats the other or not, but it's the drafting of the rules and leaving opportunities for your opponents to score that is uh, the, the interesting part about this game. I enjoyed this, but not quite as much as the sequel, An Otter One, which uses a similar mechanism, but instead of the rock, paper, scissors thing, it has arrows. Some of the cards have up arrows and some have down arrows, and uh, whichever there is more of in a particular hand, so there will be cards played and there's a card in the center, uh, and so if there are more up arrows than down arrows, you're looking for the highest card. And if there are more down arrows than up arrows, you're looking for the lowest card. Uh, and then whoever has the highest or lowest card based on that then gets to choose how cards are distributed uh, from the center of the table. And they can be given, you decide who gets each card and which one stays in the center as a scoring opportunity. Um, and that one feels like it has a little bit more control, whereas YI Otter is a little more haphazard. They're both really cute little two-player games um, that are deeper than they appear based on their simplistic artwork. They're, they have these cute little cartoonish otters um, in both of them. They seem like they're very simple, but there's a lot more to the subtle distribution of these scoring rules, and it's a lovely little distraction. So, why I otter and an otter one from Buttonshy Games, I am enjoying for sure. <laughs> they sound otterly delightful. Ah, I knew you were waiting on that, I know. <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to talk about this game, Resurgence. And have you heard of this game, Eric? I haven't. Has it come back? <laughs> You were waiting on that one, Eric. I, no, I just thought of it just now. <laughs> uh, so this is a game from Stan Kordofsky, and he's uh, published a whole bunch of games in the past. This is Half a Kingdom's game. I I think this might be his publishing company. Uh, he's got another game that's either in crowdfunding now or just ended, Nova Roma. Um, and he's made a whole bunch of uh, other games, including Rurik is one of his, and Lockup. Um, so there's some, some games like that that he has designed. Uh, this is a post-apocalyptic world. And in that post-apocalyptic... <laughs> That's tricky. Post-apocalyptic... <laughs> One more time. Post-apocalyptic world. Close. After the bad stuff. <laughs> After the bad stuff, you are uh, bag building and pulling from a bag and then worker place- placing, as we all will be when the world comes to an end. Yes. Uh, so it really is a bag building uh, worker placement game. So you're going to draw a certain number of tokens and you have various uh, characters basically by occupation. There are some who are, you know, help with travel and some that are builders and some that are doctors, etc. And you're sending people out to the locations on the board. So there's five different spots, uh, cities on the board and then each one has two locations. You go to those, you collect your resources. Each player also has a player board where they're building up their compound. And the compound can be upgraded in levels. And then there are buildings or rooms that you can open in your compound that allow you to kind of work or place on your own board and receive resources. You're doing all this while trying to do quests where you go out to connect with other people and befriend the mutants that are out in the world uh, and all those kind of things that you would be doing. Uh, and trying to score victory points. What's interesting is once you draw from your bag, you you put up a little, 
you know, uh, shield, and then you place them in one of the three locations, all of your pieces, and then there's kind of a value to each of the tokens, and who's highest in each category moves up on these tracks to get bonuses and ultimately end game points in each of those tracks. So that's kind of the slowest part of the game, more than the worker placement. You're picking where, it's almost like you're programming, and part of that programming is also that you will be deciding where things are going to go um, otherwise, like I'm, I'm going to try to go to this location. And then when players go to a spot you want to, so I, it's technically not worker placement because you can go where other people are, but you have to spend extra resources. So you're kind of planning for who's going to mess up my plans, but they don't fully mess up my plans. I can always do them if I have enough resources. Anyway, that goes on for six rounds. There's some events and things that happen, and then you'll kind of get to final scoring. You do open up some more advanced quests that you can do and whatnot. It's a really neat, once you wrap your head around it, it's really just a midway. It It's a mix of mechanisms. Um, oh, I forgot that Stan also made Endless Winter. <laughs> ah, yes, okay. <laughs> Which would be probably his most popular game at this point. And very much like that is a mix of mechanisms. This one is as well. Although this one I would say is much more straightforward than learning something like Endless Winter. Uh, but I found it very enjoyable. I've played it at a few player counts and a few times and it's definitely one to uh, check out if you're into bag building and worker placement. Hmm. How long is the game? Uh, it's pretty fast. The six rounds, you know, it's it. The rounds take somewhere between ten and fifteen minutes around. So you're talking sixty to ninety minutes. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, next for me is a cooperative game based on one of my favorite old-school video game franchises. This is called Mega Man Adventures. Uh, it's published by Blacklist Games. Designers are Peter Gosis and Michael D. Kelly. Uh, this comes in a very odd-shaped box that is supposed to look like uh, an old NES cartridge. Uh, inside is a whole bunch of dice and a bunch of cards that represent the, the robot minions that Mega Man has faced over uh, his first three adventures, Mega Man 1, 2, and 3. And they sort of separate them into different boxes, but as far as I can tell, there's no reason for that. Um, I'll get to that in a second. This is a cooperative game. Uh, everybody is going to face, eventually, one of the robot bosses that you may recognize from the games. But before you do that, you have to work your way through a certain number of challenge cards and it's usually based on uh, how many uh, players are playing the game. When you are about to face one of the challenge cards, you get to flip up one of those cards. It will require you to get certain die roll results. So you see what you need to do to get through it. Uh, either you get through a particular challenge or you take damage, and you don't want to do too much of that because too much damage means the team loses. So you know what you need to do, and then you have a hand of four cards from your personal deck that's tuned to your particular character. You will, with those four cards, place two of them on either side of you, which represent dice that both you and your neighbor gets on that side. So if I put one to my left, my left-hand neighbor is going to get that die as well as me, and then I will get the dice that display on my neighbor's uh, tableaus as well. You get one of your cards as like a special ability that you can trigger during the, the round, and you have one more in reserve ready to go to play on somebody else's turn, uh, which is part of that whole cooperative thing. You, you then work your way around, rolling the dice that you have drafted into your pool, spending them. Uh, you can spend similar uh, uh, symbols. If you get two identical symbols, that can trade in for a weight symbol on your card, or you might need a shoot or a jump or a, uh, what's the third one, um, a run symbol. 
in order to get through all of these sequences. And you have to complete the card. You either have to do the thing to complete it or take the damage associated with that. Uh, but other people can play cards on your turn to help you out, or you can trigger weapons or abilities or you know stuff like that to make it all happen. And you then you go around the table helping each other out and then start a new round with a new set of challenge cards, eventually working your way to the big bad who has like a stack of cards that you have to work through in order to complete that challenge and win the round. Uh, you can play this as a standalone game or you can play it as a campaign, which has sort of a mini arc where you get a, uh, a weapon uh, card based on who you defeated in the previous game. So you'll play a first game, you get a weapon card, uh, you have a starting weapon card to start, you get a second weapon card after defeating one robot boss, then you do another round facing another robot boss, and then you face Dr. Wily, which is just sort of like a sequence of bosses that you have to face. And that's, that's a full campaign, hopefully with, with lots of power and cool things to do. It's a dice game, so it's a little wacky in its swings of luck. Uh, if you really just don't get the symbols you need, there are ways to mitigate that with all the cards. But if you really just don't get stuff you can use, you're going to get hosed and you're going to be upset. Um, I think it's presented very weirdly uh, because they separated things. in. There's boxes for Mega Man 1, 2, and 3 in here. But there's no mechanical reason why Mega Man 1, 2, and 3, as a separate, separate entities, are a thing. Because a campaign version is one round, second round, Dr. Wily round. That's not, you don't work your way through Mega Man 1, <laughs> 2, and 3. It's round 1, round 2, Dr. Wily. And that, that just broke my brain in the way, like, how are you even supposed to separate it in the boxes that are labeled Mega Man 1, 2, and 3? It's very mm. weird. Um, I ultimately, while it's fun and, and it does feel better than other editions of Mega Man that have appeared in board game form, I don't really think I can recommend this just because it's, it's just, it's a little weird in the way it's all presented. Um, it'll probably see a little bit more playtime, but it's probably not going to stick around. So that's Mega Man Adventures from Blacklist Games. Nice. All right. My next game is Council of Shadows. Ooh, so spooky. this. Yeah, this is from Aaliyah or Ravensburger, um, and it's designed by Martin Callenborn and Jochen Schurer. Uh, so the first place to start with this game <laughs> is the rule book is a mess. Oh, no. It is very difficult uh, to navigate this rule book. So be warned, if bad rule books are a, a huge no for you, uh, then this is probably going to be one of those ones that's tough. I will say that as of now, there is a BGG update where they go through all of those things that are mistakes. It says things like they the players may do such and such, but it should be the player may do such and such, and it makes mm. it sound like everybody now gets to do these things. Uh, some of the abilities and actions aren't explained well. However, I have made my way through the rule book. I've asked the questions. I've played it multiple times to kind of make sense of things. There's actually a really good game here. Hmm. So it's not off it. Like usually bad rule book just kind of equals bad game. But in this case, it's just not true. The game is really fun. I, so you could go to BGG to look those. I actually, you know, self promote here. I have a video that I made on the game and it's up there on BGG. So you can watch me teaching i still made 
one or two small mistakes, but I didn't make any major mistakes. Um, so you can check that out. So anyway, I kind of wanted to put that up front because if you just can't handle a bad rule book, it's out or get somebody to teach you. <laughs> it's going to be what you want to do. The game itself is a space-themed game. The Council of Shadows seems to be some operating power. They want you to get this dark tech. And so it really is an engine-building game. Each player starts with 20 consumption and zero energy, and you're trying to get your energy to equal your consumption. When you do that, you level up your technology, your dark technology. You get a dark technology bonus, and the goal is to ascend to level 3 dark tech. At that point, the game is ended, players finish their turns, and then they attain final energy, and whoever is at the highest dark tech level, because you can actually ascend beyond three to four and five even, Hmm. uh, if you kind of wrap around past your um, consumption, and then whoever has the most energy, if you're at the same level, will be the winner. So those are kind of your points. What's neat is you choose how high your consumption goes and how much energy you're able to get. So on their turns, players are first going to be able to buy cards from kind of a set of cards that are out on the table, as well as various upgrades on your player board. And then you're going to program. So you're going to put a shield up. You're going to program three cards in. Uh, and then you'll reveal those, and each card has a consumption value. So let's just say that my total consumption was 12, so I'd move from 20 up to 32, and Eric's is 7, so he goes to 27. Since I had more consumption that turn, I get to go first. I now do the actions on my cards, which is essentially there's a galaxy, and I'm going to be able to either explore new planets or build mines and colonies on those planets or collect resources from those planets, namely energy. And then kind of a scoring phase where if I have majorities, I can remove some of my cubes from the board from those uh, galaxies in order to gain energy. And that's kind of your main focus in the game. Players do that in player order, uh, and then you repeat another round. So it's one of these games where it's not a lot of rounds. You're playing four, five, six rounds. Uh, and they're relatively short, and you're just trying to build that engine. So you can do an engine where you're playing high-consumption cards that gather a whole bunch of energy, or you can try to play very low-consumption cards and try to quick knock off your various ones. I love that ability to kind of construct what I want to do, and the box even comes with player powers, and it comes with these uh, satellites that you can play, as well that are like expansions. So it gives it even more asymmetry to the players and more choice. Uh, so it's it's been really fun. I've played the solo version and solo's not always my favorite way, but there's a really good bot that's easy to play against. And then playing with other players, you're just competing for that and you can try a wide variety of strategies, which I really like. Huh. Uh, does this fit into one of the traditional Aaliyah lines? Is this a big box Aaliyah line like Puerto Rico or Ra? Yes. Or is it one of the other systems? Nope, it's that exact same size box. Cool, cool. Uh, sorry to hear about the uh, rule book. It seems like Aaliyah's been having a little bit of trouble with rules lately. The uh, the re-theme of Puerto Rico has had some issues for sure. Uh, and to hear that this is also a little wonky, it, it saddens me a little bit. Yeah, like I said, you know, that's that's why I put that up front is I wanted to talk about I think the game is really great, but there's definitely going to be some bang your head against the wall moments. And so if you can find some uh, helpful, you know, BGG tips where they correct that or a video, like I said, it, it could help you to learn the game a lot more. Cool, cool. It sounds fun. I really want to try it. It's good. All right, let's keep on rolling to our D12 of fate. Whoa. 
All right, it's time for the big roll in which we uh, we we let the D12 of fate decide what we're going to talk about. We have our big matrix of topics that we would like to discuss, but we don't know until this very moment what exactly we're going to do. Are you ready, Brant? Oh, I can't for wait. the D12 of fate. Here we go. Holding my breath. Topic number six, which is cooperative versus competitive gaming. This is one of your discussion topics, Brant. So why don't you lead us off? Yeah, so no doubt that, you know, when you think about games, uh, people think about competitive style games, I guess, although cooperative has been around so long now, right? We have whole channels dedicated to cooperative games. We have companies that make mostly cooperative games. Yeah, Peaceable Kingdom is one that I can think of. Yeah, exactly. And it's great, right? Because that's a company that's specifically for kids. So you're kind of removing that poor sportsmanship kind of feeling for kids and getting them to the joy of playing games and learning how to do all that and those kind of different things. So I think it's just kind of seeing, I, I feel like I still am a competitive gamer, but I don't know the more and more and more I play games. First off, I'm not winning a lot of games lately. <laughs> <laughs> we were discussing this. You're just in a slump. That's all. <laughs> but I don't know that winning is that big a deal to me. Definitely my favorite part of games is teaching games, which I think you know that. Uh, but I love thinking about who, who can I teach a game to? Who's going to really like this game? So that's one of my favorite parts. But be it competitive or cooperative, you know, there's that piece. But I, I do wonder with not always worrying about winning, I, I definitely want to get rules right um, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if I'm leaning more towards cooperative gaming the more I play, the more I just want everybody to sit at the table, we win or lose together, so we can kind of, you know, go have a soda afterward and talk about our victory or talk about our defeat and what we do better next time is kind of a fun element. Where do you think you stand if there were to be a spectrum, which I don't think there is? Uh, I mean, I, I think I, over the years, have been drawn more to cooperative games uh, lately. I, I think part of that is because I tend to like games where I'm playing against a system. Mm-hmm. I, am I getting more efficient? Am I learning how to explore the space? Am I figuring out how to do the stuff in the game more efficiently than my opponents? And so when that opponent is the game itself, that isn't that far of a leap in my general uh, you know, likes of games. So co-op games definitely hit my sweet spot. It doesn't hurt that my family really likes them. And so we're much more likely to play a cooperative game uh, with my kids or my wife um, than, than we would be to, uh, to play a, a straight-up competitive game, like a take-that game. The, the difference, like just recently, we played Quartz, which is one of like the quintessential take-that games. Right, right. Versus playing Pandemic Legacy Zero and the enthusiasm shown by the entire family toward the co-op game versus the begrudging playing of (laughs) the Take That game that some of the kids want to play. So I think that's a lot of it. I do know uh, I have friends certainly who who do not like cooperative games because they want the intellectual challenge of playing against other people. And I think maybe that's the dividing line. If you're, if you're more excited about playing against a system, then co-op games are not that much of a stretch to work together. Um, but if you like playing against the other people at the table, then co-op games feel like it's not the right thing to do. And I certainly have folks who, who feel that way and will begrudgingly play a cooperative game, um, but it would not be their choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it and I'm wondering, like, there's plenty of competitive games I like, and obviously there's kind of the 
negative connotation of the multiplayer solitaire game. Uh-huh. And people will kind of say, oh, this game is just multiplayer solitaire. And I wonder that people that enjoy cooperative games a whole bunch, if they also tend to like multiplayer solitaire games more, because it is what you were talking about. You're kind of playing that system and then seeing who did the best within the confines of that system versus who did the best verse directly versus the other players. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I tend to, uh, if you were going to rank things, I tend to like competitive games with multiple players versus competitive games with a single opponent. I think because the two-player games tend to be more intellectual, face-to-face. You are, you know, battle of wits sort, sort of competition. Um, whereas I like to explore more and maybe see how well I do in the in the pool of people. And when it's only two people... Uh, that that's less of interest to me. So I guess if I was stacking them, as we did from the beginning of the show, <laughs> it would be a straight two-player game, then a group competitive game, then a cooperative game on top. Yeah, I don't know. The two-player heads-up style games, I'm really into. I, you know that I play My Hero Academia card game every week at the Portal, yeah. And that's a two-player, you know, CCG, the thing I never thought I would get back into. <laughs> and there's just a lot to that with the variety that you can do, the other player, the kind of speed of a game like that, and then the idea that, like, my my goal is to directly affect you, and your goal is to directly affect me. And right. we're kind of sitting down to that agreement. Whereas the three- and four-player table, that agreement is a little, is definitely more nebulous. Uh, yes, I agree because there's you don't have to attack me. You could attack the other person. You could not attack. You know, it all it all depends on what the focus of the game is, but very rarely are you attacking the entire table unless you're playing King of Tokyo. Um as opposed to making specific decisions about what to focus on, but in a two-player game, you have to focus on the other person. Because every turn that you don't affect them, they're going to attack, uh, you know, affect you in some way, and you have to sort of keep head-to-head. Yeah, the other style of competitive that I really enjoy would be a party game. And that's because essentially the points don't matter, right? So there is you are competing with the other teams or players individually or whatever it is, but really you're just hoping to have funny conversation, humorous moments, memorable moments, right? Those kind of things when you're happening, whether it's code names, cleverness that each, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that team got those right. That was cool that I saw them get that. Even though we're not losing, <laughs> I'm enjoying that moment or just the hilarity of somebody trying to act something out in a monikers or times up or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Although I think points don't matter, uh, is, is a, a nebulous term and maybe a dangerous term as far as a game versus an activity. Um, like telestrations, a game I love, but we never really score it. It's more of a let's let's do the activity and just see how it all turns out. But ultimately, there's no winner in the end. Um, but that is more of an activity than than a game. Uh, whereas other games, other party games, I think having the competition in a like times up situation or a code name situation, I think having that competitive aspect is necessary to drive the focus. I think otherwise you just could throw out stuff and who cares what you say. Um, 
But if you're actually trying to win, uh, that's where the tension of those games comes from. Regardless of how invested you are in the end, you have to have some effort toward winning or losing. Oh, yeah. No, def- definitely. I mean, I was thinking of games where you still maybe do points, but the points don't matter in terms of like, oh, that's the winner, but we hopefully all had fun. <laughs> sure. I mean, yes. You're, uh, there's there's also a spectrum of how invested you are in this game. Uh, very few people are, are winning lots of money in the codename circuit. <laughs> so while we're breaking down competitive games, I feel like we should actually also break down cooperative games. Okay. So how deep... Are you willing to go in cooperative games? So I'm really thinking about campaigns because you mentioned Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Ah, uh, so you're you're ta- we're talking campaign stuff now, sir? Because those tend to be cooperative, right? I would say most of them tend to have some kind of. Uh, I guess it's not true with legacy games in general. Well, <laughs> more. I think I feel like there's more legacy games that are cooperative than than aren't. Um, and and sometimes it's a little weird when you have legacy elements that sneak into a competitive game uh, because sometimes you want to throw a game in order to get ready for the next one or uh, cumulative points. Um, I can't speak too much about Seafall because I never really got into it, even though it's been sitting on my shelf forever as untapped potential. But I heard it was very difficult to catch up if you had taken a huge lead it was very hard in multiple games to to catch up to the leader in those circumstances. Um, but going back to campaign-style cooperative games, I, I really enjoy them. Um, I particularly like the Pandemic Legacies because it's this long-term planning over the course of multiple sessions. Um, but I also find it very taxing on our time. I have... Plenty of campaign games, as we mentioned in a previous episode. Gloomhaven still sits on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World um, legacy game that might be next after we finish Season Zero of Pandemic. Uh, but they take time and dedicated play space that when you get together to play a game, you're playing this campaign game. Um, that's almost a separate subject in itself. But I do like doing it because of the long-term planning, the the quarterbacking in uh, in Pandemic Legacy of how you spend your points at the end of a session and how you're going to respond to the next set of challenges that are coming up in the next month is awesome. And I really like that aspect of it's sort of like the larger metagame versus the individual session team aspects of, of a single game. Uh, versus the larger metagame of how do we want this arc to play out. Yeah, there's something when everybody's all in, right? When you have a whole group and everybody's into their character, they're into the story, they're into the progression, and it's something you can talk about, like you're saying, outside of the game uh, that really just creates that camaraderie that is somewhat unrivaled in other games, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that cooperative games are such a great entry point for younger players is hard to ignore. There's so many stories of younger players loving co-op games because it's against the system and you're not, the the bad feelings aren't as strong when it's the game that defeats you versus your older brother that defeats you. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Yeah, my policy now is I'll play any campaign legacy game, but it's got to be two player. Ah, okay. (laughs) That way I know I'll get it done. (laughs) you know you've got your opponent ready to go so if i'm playing one eric don't come over and ask to join (laughs) oh fine 
All right, folks. Where do you sit on this gradient, competitive versus cooperative? Are you somewhere in the middle? Do you has has your opinion changed over time as you've been hanging out in this hobby of ours? Let us know. Rightbrainrollers at gmail dot com. All right, we're going to keep on rolling with our doubles review, and this is a uh, pretty hyped-up popular game here, Eric. This is Earth. Earth, indeed. This comes from Inside Up Games. The designer is Maxime Tadif. Uh, Earth is a tableau-building game where you're creating a uh, an ecosystem. Uh, most of the cards uh, involve either fauna or flora, elements of nature, animals, plants of different types, and you will be creating a 4x4 grid of these cards and creating sort of an ecosystem that plays off of each other. There are only four actions in the game. Now, let's see if I can remember all these really, really well. Um, you, you'll start out before you, you get to these actions. You start out with an island uh, that has special powers and gives you a special uh, asymmetric starting condition. Uh, you have a climate that you are working with and you have an ecosystem that you're working with. And... You have four actions to work with. Um, You can choose to plant cards where you'll place new cards out on your tableau, putting them next to other cards you may have already put put out there. You have to pay for these cards using soil, which you will collect through various mechanisms. Oh, and I should, I should say that whenever you do one of these actions, if you choose, it's your turn, you choose one of these four actions. You get to do the top level, the awesome version of this action, but everybody else gets sort of a lesser version of that action. So the planting, uh, if you chose it, you get to plant two cards and draw a card. Actually, you get to draw four cards and keep one of them. That's great. Everybody else gets to plant one card and draw one card from the top of the deck. So still neat, but a lesser version. Uh, There is a watering action where you can get more little sprout cubes on your tableau. Uh, You can draw more cards. You can get more soil. You can make trees grow on your your cards. Each card has, or many cards, have opportunities to grow. Uh, It's like a little mini tree that you build on the card of trunk spaces and a little mushroom cap uh, topper. And often many of these cards will give you extra points if you complete a certain amount of growth on on that space. And uh, you'll go around the table. Somebody chooses an action. Everybody gets to do the lesser version of that action and you get to trigger the abilities in your tableau that match that action. So there are many cards that for the planting action then give you some sort of benefit whenever somebody does the planting action. And you'll go through your tableau and your your player board and trigger those abilities as well. There are also scoring goals to complete. You can play at a basic level where you just get 10 points if you complete the goal. Yay. Or there is a race to see who completes that goal first. So you're focused on maybe needing a certain number of tree cards in your tableau or a certain number of cards that are worth more than four points. And the first player to do that is going to get their scoring marker out on the board more quickly than their opponents. This continues until somebody completes their 4x4 grid. And then that ends the round. 
and you total up a whole bunch of points. You're going to get points for the way your cards interrelate with each other, with with certain terrain cards. You're going to get cards just printed on the board or on the uh, the cards themselves. You get points for all of your little green sprout cubes. You get points for all your green or your uh, your trunks uh, and growth uh, tokens that are on your your cards. It's a mess of points, and it's really cool how it all comes together. What did you think of Earth, Brad? Well, Eric, I'm super prepared for this review of this game because I have played this game 11 times. Whoa, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I've played solo, I've played multiplayer, two-player, all sorts of counts. We played a three-player game uh, together. And yeah, it's it's a really interesting game. I mean, the theme, it's it's kind of there. You're like making your own island and some of the cards are really neat. Like there's a beach that you place in the corner. So it's kind of off on its own. And if it stays on its own, it scores points. So you've Mm -hmm. got theme in cards like that. But I mean, generally, you're building a tableau of cards to score points based on various conditions, you know. And a big part of it is the replayability comes from the variability of those cards. Not only the 300 various flora cards in the game, flora and action cards and and the, uh, the terrain, the location ones. But mm-hmm. also just all the scoring opportunities with the flora cards, the environment. And I really like how you get to pick from cards. The, the advanced mode is that you get two cards and you pick like each side of each one that you want to start with. So you can right. really give yourself a starting engine as to what you want to do in this game and how you want to complete the objectives that came out. Yes, yes. Uh, and the the one maybe downside that that you get with this variety is that uh, sometimes those scoring objectives require a particular set of cards uh, say animals that that are uh, have the little snowflake symbol on them tundra animals um, and if you don't get those cards it can be a little tricky to complete scoring objectives and if you're playing the advanced mode there's a race to complete them and if you don't get the proper cards even though you may have a great engine, um, sometimes somebody's going to get first stab at those objectives just because they managed to draw the right cards right off the bat. Yeah, however, when we played with Brian, he did that. I believe he completed all four objectives ahead of all of us, uh, both of us. Yep. And yet yeah, yeah. your scores were still really close, if I remember. We, I found other ways to score points, uh, sort of stuff that was on the board and collecting lots of uh, growth tokens and, uh, and, and the sprouts. And, and so lots of ways to, to score points on my tableau as opposed to going for those objectives. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great part about the game is that for people kind of playing for the first time or, or obviously the objectives are still going to be important, but it's a, a laid out set of goals. Do this and you will do well. But there are other ways to create your own engines and score points, which I think is is awesome to put into a game. Both first time people playing it can do well and people playing it who played a lot can find other things to do. Right, right. Uh, well, I think I am really happy with this game. I think this rolls a nine for me. What about you, Brant? Yeah, I think I'm a nine as well, but I could definitely waver to a 10. I'll stick to a nine for now. I, I'd want to say I need more plays, but I have 11. So <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But uh, I, I think I get a little bit of that joy of other people, like teaching it to other people and seeing them enjoy it, I think is a, a big part of for me. It's just a game that people catch on to. And man, I'll tell you, the strength of this game is the fact that everybody's playing simultaneously. That's such a big oh, yeah. part of the game. And that is what's going to really rise its popularity. So you're bringing 
a game that would be two hours if everybody was playing individual turns down to 40 minutes to say 60 minutes on a first play because of that simultaneous play, which I think is just, that's going to be the hallmark of this game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I should note that if you are looking to try this game out, uh, Earth is available on Board Game Arena. Uh, and so you can, it's a little tricky to keep track of everything. This is a, a big game with a big footprint. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff to be paying attention to, and that's hard to do on a scrolling screen, but you at least get to, you know, push the buttons and, and try things out and give this game a whirl uh, before you you pick up a physical copy. Yeah, it, it's going to be a hugely popular game. People are getting their, you know, Kickstarter crowdfunded games in, and it's coming to retail soon. In fact, probably by the time this is up, it's in retail. And it's a $50 price point, which in today's market of games That's not bad. is an amazing price point for a game that is going to have the popularity of this game. Uh, it's really awesome. All right. Well, there's our discussion on Earth from Inside Up Games. So we've reached the end once again. Here we are. At the signpost that says, time to say goodbye. Oh, saying goodbye. (laughs) Don't bring the Muppets into this. (laughs) I guess the only thing left to do is to say thank you for listening, everybody. The Right Brain Rollers podcast is produced by Brant Sanderson and Eric Summer. I edit and mix the show, and the Brant runs our social media, which includes our Facebook page and a guild on Board Game Geek. Just search for Right Brain Rollers. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out and contact us at rightbrainrollers at gmail.com. Some of the games we discussed were provided as review copies. Our ethics policy is available upon request. We hope to catch you next time, but first, here's some interesting information for you. We're looking for fact number 217. All right, this is a series of questions. Eric, why do we drive on a parkway and then park on a driveway? Or better yet, we put our suits in a garment bag, but our garments in a suitcase. And the person who invests all my money, why are they called a broker? I don't know. (laughs) It's your useless information of the week. It's all the info you don't need to know. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.